This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Ragcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards and I have David Merrill on the phone, which is a first time, David, isn't it? Uh, this is a first time phone in. This is a little weird, but I'm here, everyone. <laughs> so I'm actually hanging out in the studio and David is where? I am on the road, hitting five states up, but currently in Nevada, Las Vegas. All right, so David's quite a ways away, about 12-hour drive from here, and we're going to do some recording today, but first I want to talk about one of our sponsors, and that's PK Lures, and it is ice fishing season officially. I've seen some posts from some friends of mine that have already been out on Boyson, so I need to get my button gear and get out there and do some fishing. Um, There's a little bit of ice out there, and I know across the Midwest and the North, there's a lot of people already way ahead of me in doing the fishing thing, but I will tell you, PK Lures is the place to go this time of year if you need some jigging spoons you know christmas is right around the corner uh maybe you forgot to buy somebody a christmas present and you need to get something so you can do that as well so if you want to get some great ice fishing equipment you can go to pklure.com pick up some great spoons i would recommend especially this time of year typically people get on the crappie early ice the pk tungsten predator is an absolute crappie killer so you can again get those at pklure.com and i have a special guest in here with me today a guy that i really enjoy being around and he bailed me out big time this summer. I'm going to tell this story just to kind of introduce him a little bit, but uh, I raise pigs and this is the fifth year in a row I've raised feeder hogs. And this year was a unique year. It was hard to get a hold of feed and it was just a real pain in the butt. And he bailed me out big time and <laughs> was able to get me enough feed to actually get my hogs raised. So I owe him a lot, but Mr. Tyler McCann, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks, man. So Tyler, he's a, he's a rancher here in Wyoming. He's got a specialty meat business, Wyoming Cowboy Cuts, and he brought in some snack sticks I can't wait to eat, just so you know. (laughs) A little charcuterie, some good stuff to get, get after, and you know, I really wanted to bring him in here because we've done a lot of hunting. We've done a lot of fishing. We've done a lot of outdoors stuff, but we really haven't talked about meat and we haven't talked about protein. So figured we'd have you in to talk about that. So again, welcome. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. That's my favorite thing to talk about, eating. (laughs) <laughs> Me too. And I know David yeah. likes that too, huh, David? So the first part of, uh, of getting to be an outdoorsman is procuring whatever dish, and that's our, our, our secret sauce is what, what dishes we're going to prepare for our families. But that's, that's not the bonus. I mean, anymore, that's kind of the, uh, the gist of a reason why we see, you know, the growing demographic in people coming to the outdoors, whether it be fishing or hunting, or even if it's just, I guess, hobby farming. So Tyler, I mean, you've, how does your business fit into this growing market, whether it's domestic or wild game? You know, it's been interesting. We, we looked into this for about five or six years before we actually kind of hung out our shingle and said, we're really going to do this. Um, I had, you know, kind of a food background really. 
And um, we wanted to figure out another way to market. Uh, you know, we have a big commercial ranch and we saw where there was some of the, the marginalized stuff that we needed to find a way to capitalize on. Some of these cattle that froze ears off or a tail or, you know, maybe had a cosmetic blemish. Having always, my uncle owned a, a very upscale restaurant in Vail and I used to go there on the weekends as a kid and stuff. And so I always was into food and um, we started to see where that would fit into ranching and be able to market that. And in doing that, I've seen seen and heard more people. There's kind of this renaissance of food and charcuterie and hunting and outdoorsmen. All of those things are so the food tourism. That's something I'd never even heard of three years ago. And then you look into it. That's a huge deal. So, so tell me a little bit more about food tourism. So, you know, um, we're starting to try and capitalize on it here in central Wyoming. You know, we do the beef roundup. This will be our third year doing it. But if you think about you go to Napa, California, you're going to go on a wine tour. You go to Kentucky, you're going to go on a whiskey tour. Those things are getting to be more of a, a mainstream idea that you're going somewhere to see what they do there, whether it be food or wine or whatever that is. And so we're trying to kind of capitalize on that here in Wyoming with being big beef country and start doing a little bit of that too. Yeah. And I know the prices of beef have just gone astronomical over the past couple of years. And, and I mean, you look at any of the markets really, I mean, poultry is super high, lambs, goats. I think people are thinking a lot more about meat than they ever have. Yeah. Because they have to. I mean, especially if you have a family and you got to put meat on the table, you know, you're you're paying a lot closer attention to the meat markets and kind of what's going on. So can you talk a little bit about what's driving that right now? So we've gotten so good at producing these really high quality, super cheap proteins. You know, we created this whole machine that was so highly efficient, but it was all centralized. And we saw that breakdown you know, a year and a half ago and um, how vulnerable it was to something like COVID. Um, and, and prior to that, it was more of a upscale um, Vogue kind of thing to talk about, you know, this is where I buy my meat or this is what I, you know, this is the charcuterie that we make. And now all of a sudden it's becoming, like you're saying, kind of a necessity that people are thinking about. You go in and you talk to the guys at Rocky Mountain and they say, we've had more first-time licensed applicants this year than ever before. More first-time gun owners, more first-time fishing licenses, it, because it is on people's mind. Now, what's really driving, you know, during COVID, we had some of the breakdown of the system, and we saw these weak points of why you don't want your beef raised a thousand miles away and then shipped to you. So now that we've seen some of that breakdown, now all these fuel prices and stuff are driving that even more. So it's been kind of interesting that people had this wake up and then they kind of got lulled back into it for a minute. And all of a sudden, you know, when the prices went back down and there was meat on the shelves again and okay, everything's kind of going to be the way it was. And then all of a sudden the prices skyrocketed because of the fuel and the, tr 
and the distance that they're transporting it. And um, people all of a sudden are, you know, they've had enough. Either they're fed up or they can't afford it. And now they are starting to look in other areas. And how can we be more responsible about this? How can it be more affordable? Those are all things that they're having to address because it's been such a prolonged amount of time. Before you'd have a little spike in the market and, you know, cattle were higher or poultry was higher, one of these other things. And people, eh, they'd kind of switch. Well, we'll do pork instead of instead of beef this Christmas, you know. And um, now where it's been prolonged and it's it's affecting everything, they're going, wait a minute, we, we can't keep doing this. So... Now they're actively looking for some other outlet. Right. And I mean, David, you can talk about that a little bit. I know you and your family subsist a lot on the elk and antelope and deer. You know, I, I think that's that's kind of a big, been a big mainstay for you, but is becoming that more for other people, isn't it? it I mean, it certainly is probably the number one motivation that I've been out and about touring. You know, the I don't want to say trophy hunter, but the, the big game hunter that's going out just for the thrill of enjoying the outdoors and reminiscing of, of years of dad's past has kind of faded away to kind of new the more locavore movement of I want to go out and have the dough to have some protein in the freezer as a either a primary or a backup source to the grocery store. So, you know, with that in mind of people who are doing this and, and you know, wanting to put that protein in their freezer, what, what do people need to do to support small beef operations, you know, so that they can we can decentralize this meat market. You know, they're starting to be more guys like myself uh, in our family that are looking into how they can help supplement the ranch or some people are even to the point of how do we save the ranch so there's a few places they can go u.s meat and produce on facebook is a great one there's a lot of websites out there um i know if i try and say this one off the top of my head i'm gonna mess it up well that u.s meat and produce i follow that one and there's there's always posts of like, hey, I'm in Oklahoma. I've got half of a beef or I've got whatever. I mean, that's that's been a pretty cool thing to watch it grow. Yeah, and you can go on there and just search for your state and then even break it down further than that. And you can find somebody that has goats, chicken, beef, uh, produce, whatever it is that's right in your area. Um, you know, and another one that's getting going is this Unchained Ag. Um, that's another one. Crowd Cow is kind of a more bogue type one but um, there's getting to be more of these services and i think that's the big difference from previously when people were doing this direct to consumer sales it was kind of it was kind of limited to word of mouth and now with the internet and everything else and, and facebook being so prevalent uh, all the all the social medias getting out there i mean we have posts on just our our socials that have like 10,000 views. I mean, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we have people pretty regularly call and ask us if we ship meat out of state. And we're not even to that point yet. We've doubled in size every year since we started. We still can't even keep just Fremont County and Riverton <laughs> supplied. So we're, we're just kind of going out in concentric circles. We're a long ways from that. But there's so many of those kind of services out there now that consumers can look into. Um, and likewise, ranchers and farmers, they need to get active in direct marketing to help keep that going. I, I see more and more people all the time. And people ask me if I'm worried about 
you know, oh, so-and-so is selling this at the farmer's market. And I said, that that's great because there may be a day where I'm out of lamb and they can go right across over there and they can get the lamb that they're after. Or I don't sell chicken, but I know three or four people that do. And they're, it's amazing. The difference in the, in the product that you get is just unbelievable. But I always tell people, I appreciate having that other person at the farmer's market or my neighbor selling his beef because everybody that's not going to the grocery store to buy it, that's a win for all of us. Well, and, you know, one of the big things we saw from COVID was the shortage on the meat packing houses and the places to actually get your animals butchered, right? And when you support your local people who are raising stock in your area, you're also supporting that place that's cutting up your meat. And so it's a win-win for the entire community. And I know like, you know, Genuine Meats just got started here. They did my pork. They did a great job. Those kind of places are what you want. So can you talk about that a little bit? How it it's kind of like a community. It all works together between the producer, you know, the butcher and the consumer and how all that kind of works. Um, you know, when we're really fortunate here in Wyoming, especially in central Wyoming, we have so much of that. Um, what are there now? Three USDA inspected facilities just in Fremont County. I mean, that's amazing. And then we have a few private ones too. So, you know, we have the Food Freedom Act. And we really take it for granted you know i had lacy block come down to the beef roundup and if you want to look up i I don't know if i would have kept doing it if i had to go through as many struggles and red tape as what she did i've followed her on facebook and stuff for years now and she has ranchers rebellion beef it's just amazing how much struggle she had so we're really fortunate here in wyoming that we have pretty much a wide open market example of you and i meeting over the corn every time we do something like that to where we're we're supporting someone closer to us it keeps making that cycle easier and stronger so now i market chicken feed and people go well that has absolutely nothing to do with producing beef right and it doesn't except that now i'm able to buy machinery to produce the grain for my beef but the people that are producing eggs or or feeding chickens in our area they could only go to the store before and they were subject to whatever price the the co-op or bombgars or whatever national company wanted to charge them And so now we can cut out all of that extra transportation. You don't know how long that feed has been sitting in some storehouse or on a truck or whatever. Um, And now they come to me. I'm already mixing chicken feed. I'm already mixing steer feed. And then somebody runs out of pig feed. And you go, (laughs) yeah, we can do that too. So it it does continually get easier and we're, we're strengthening our community. I'm ordering almost five times the amount of grain this year as I have in years past because of all these other little businesses that have sprouted up from that. You know, we had a lot of people that came to us and said, well, where do we go with our chicken eggs? I said, you know, I sell to the Kinnear store. You can take your chicken eggs in there. They're always looking for more eggs. So now we have all these little places popping up that um, they have local beef, they have local chicken, local eggs, local pork. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting to see, you know, we thought it was going to be this long, arduous task of, you know, how can we ever do this together? It's been weeks, months, just and and we have the one restaurant that we supply in town um she's almost exclusively all our beef now and that's in less than a year wow so that's incredible it it really does the the snowball effect it it just it really grows exponentially when people kind of step out of what they're used to and start doing something a little closer to home yeah absolutely so you're literally in the middle of nowhere like for people that don't know like tyler and his family they are ranching literally in the middle of nowhere wyoming i mean it's pretty remote um you're a long way from you know a fuel a fuel supply or you know a grocery store or anything like that and you know how did you decide you know hey i want to go out and ranch in the middle of nowhere and and start doing this i mean how do you how do you just justify hey i'm gonna go do that so uh, love of course (laughs) Uh, no um you know my wife's family they've been in fremont county our daughters are sixth generation in fremont county and so when she and i got married i'd always had a horse background, so I was pretty comfortable around the, the ranch setting. But um, it was never, you know, that wasn't like a life goal to go into the middle of nowhere and, and ranch. But um, when we got married, that was, you either come and do this or we're we're not getting married. That, you know, that was part, you knew what you were getting into. But the beef business, it kind of just came out of how do we make the most of all of these things that we have going that weren't really fitting into a commercial mold. Uh, it was not a goal at all to start a beef business. And I still think I should probably have my head examined for doing it. <laughs> but um, it, it, it was just the kind of the natural progression of things. We wanted to see more of what we could do at home. We always kind of had a love of food and we were, you know, baking our own bread and those kind of things. And it was just, we have all of this here. Why are we not doing this? It was kind of, and looking back on it now, it was odder that we weren't doing it than getting it going. So one of my thoughts while you were talking a little bit is one of the barriers to entry as far as local beef was, you know, I've got to go talk to the rancher and buy the cow, and then I've got to go talk to the butcher and have him butcher it, and then i got to go pick up a whole beef, right? And that's now I've got to have an extremely large chest freezer, if not two, to store that. And by the time you get around, you know, a family of, say, four gets around to eating the whole thing, you're getting the, the tail end starting to get freezer burnt, and you're eating 12-month-old beef, right? The one thing that I think people should start doing is get in league with your neighbor or get in league with your fishing buddy or get in league with who knows, you get two or three families come together and all buy a quarter or a half. And then you're going through that meet in three months or four months or six months. How do they go about doing that with this program you're starting? Yeah. So that was, you know, that was one of the things that we saw like a year and a half ago during the middle of COVID was um, people wanted to get access to that, but we had to make smaller quantities um, because if they had the means to buy a whole or a half beef, which is normally how people break it down, if they had the means to do that, they probably didn't have the freezer 
and they couldn't get one. And so we started to break it down and we now have some retail boxes. Um, but other states, you know, like I said, we're really fortunate here in Wyoming that we have the Food Freedom Act. Um, I can take a beef into an uninspected facility and still sell it to a consumer as long as they are informed ahead of time that this is where this is going. Um, But we also have access to state and USDA inspected facilities. But yeah, you see you see that happening more all the time. Um, There's beef shares. A lot of states that don't necessarily have a Food Freedom Act like we do, they still have some way that consumers can go to the producer. And as long as the producer is selling to the final user, they can do that legally. There's very few states where that's no longer legal. But you need to check into that first. And then like you're saying, um, the more you do with your buddies. Um, and within your community, before you come to me, the, the easier that makes it on me. And I, I try and do as much as I can. I try and provide more services. And of course, then I charge for that. You see a lot of places offering, if you get on U.S. Meat and Produce and you are in a state where you don't have uh, direct access, a lot of places will sell you a share. And so whether you and, and three or four guys go in on that together and then you you take turns with those shares throughout the year or some of the places have it set up to where you get your portion of the share you know, however often. So you, you do see that happening more and more all the time. But personally, um, we offer... A couple of different ways, you know, with we'll sell anything from just a single pound of hamburger all the way up to the whole cow. And we have different ways of breaking that down, whether it's a retail box or or you do just come and say, hey, me and my neighbor want to buy a whole beef. What's that price? So there is more access to that all the time. But it is that's one of the biggest things that I get from people is they're they're almost intimidated by it. Like, well, I've never done this and I don't know how much a lot of a lot of people don't understand that it is. It's a large chest freezer, if not that and a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting used to that. There's portions of the beef that you're going to get when you do buy a whole or a half um, or, or pork mm-hmm. that you're probably not used to seeing that you don't get at the grocery store because they're grinding that and making it into some other value added product. So if you're not familiar with cooking round steak, you're going to you're going to learn a whole lot about round <laughs> steak real quick because that's like 28 percent of the animal. Yep. So um but there's, there's so much more of that coming available. You can get on and Google some amazing recipes for that. And if you're used to doing stuff with game, um, you probably have a pretty good idea of what you're going to do with that. So I think, the, I, I think there's more of that happening all the time. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever had a tenderized round steak made into, you know, a chicken fried steak, you know it what we're talking about. I mean, it's really good, but you have to know what to do with it. Cause if it just shows up and you're like, Oh, that's a round steak. I'm going to throw it on the grill. Well, <laughs> it might be a little tougher than yeah. you were expecting, but no, I, I think that's great. And that, you know, you were talking about how people can order from a pound to an entire animal. I've been doing this for years here in Wyoming. I mean, that's just, we've lived on wild game and then buying from a local rancher pretty much my whole life. I mean, we just don't 
buy much from the grocery store, if ever. It's kind of an interesting thing when you when you talk to people who aren't used to that, right? They're they're used to going to the grocery store, getting the big tube of hamburger or whatever. You know, there's a lot of people that do that. But for me, it's just like we typically go get boxes of of meat and we go throw it in the chest freezer and it's ready to go and, and it's really good. But I wanted you to talk just a little bit about the difference between doing something like that here locally and getting something from, you know, a large meat packing plant and kind of what people should expect the difference to be between those two, because they're not the same. Yeah. So this is the one that I always like, that's always the first question that I get is um, you say, okay, so we're going to, we're going to start talking about how we cut this up. If you're going to buy a hole from me, I, I walk you through the cutting procedure. And um, unfortunately, the whole thing is not made of ribeyes. Nope. That's a very, <laughs> very small portion of the animal. So kind of adjusting what you eat, you're going to adjust that. That was one of the biggest things that we saw is people are so accustomed to just going and picking up. You know, they went to the store to get a loaf of bread and a can of corn. So they picked up a pound of hamburger and they don't understand how much meat they go through in a year. And so like where you're pretty accustomed to that from, you know, you, you know about how much room a cow elk takes up, you know about how much room an antelope takes up. That's one thing that, that people are going to kind of figure out is that you're going to cater your cooking to what you have in the freezer. So that's one part of it. But I always, I always lean towards at first, you were always like, man, you just run out of steaks like instantly. And anymore, we kind of run long on steaks because there's so many other amazing cuts. The ribeye is kind of like, yeah, okay, we got friends coming over. We'll cook a ribeye, you know, it's easy. But now I go for like, man, I want the eye around for a braciola and I want the tri-tip for you know, when, when we have a birthday party, that's like such an amazing cut. When you start getting into it and, and finding the recipes that really highlight each piece of meat, all of a sudden you're like, hey, I don't know, you want to have a steak? Yeah, sure. We'll have a steak. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like yeah. you're so into some of these other cuts that you're like, why is there only two tri-tips on this whole thing? You know, because like when you're elk hunting, you, you don't get the cuts similar, but you know, backstraps and then basically burger. And when I first started big game hunting, it was like, I wanted everything steaks, just barbecue steaks. And yeah, you're getting a bunch of burger, but now with a small family, young kids, I mean, it's <laughs> 90% of our meals are burger of some sort, whether it's in casseroles or dishes or spaghetti or whatever. So. Yeah, that that's one that I, I um, always flag and we call that the casserole cut. So, you know, we have one lady that she has nine kids and her and her husband, and um, I love her um, because she just buys a ton of hamburger from us. But yeah, it, it's kind of learning how you eat is totally a new thing. You're not going to just get hamburger and ribeyes anymore. Now you have chuck roasts and rump roasts and round steaks and, 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 and. But some of the most amazing cuts are like the bavettes and the skirt steaks and the flank steaks and mm. some of these other things that all of a sudden now, and that's one of the things that I love is um, we see people that always come back after a little bit and they're kind of kind of on the fence about doing this and they start going wow like we're cooking together so much more and we're eating together so much more as a family and that's always a cool thing to me 
Yeah, absolutely. One of my buddies, he goes crazy for the, you know, spare ribs and short ribs and stuff like that. You know, like he likes to cook those on the barbecue and he thinks those are the best thing ever. That's like one of my least favorite things to eat, but he loves it, you know, and I'm, I'm like, you yeah, give me a flank steak and I'll cook it over some applewood. And that's about the best thing that you put in your mouth. You know, it's really yeah. tasty, but I think it is kind of cool because people are learning that there are different cuts and there are a lot of different ways to prepare them. And there's a lot of different great cookbooks too, that show you how to do some of those meals. And you really kind of open your eyes to, you know, some of the things that are out there. So I want to, I want to talk about something kind of fun here. There's been this long debate about grass and corn fed animals. And I always kind of chuckle because, you know, raising some animals myself and just seeing this, you know, from the beginning, I mean, I eat grass fed wild game all the time. But what's really the big difference between a grass-fed and corn-fed beef? And, you know, what are some of the benefits, drawbacks, pros, cons of both of them? The rise of grass-fed beef. Um, and I, I studied this for a long time before we really got into business to see kind of where all this was going. All the numbers say... I want to say it's like 2025 or something that, or 2030, um, grass-fed beef will be one-third of the entire beef business, and that's multi-billion dollar business a year. Um, the whole rise in popularity of that came from, it wasn't the flavor, it wasn't the nutritional value, it was solely the disdain for corn and the animal welfare. It's kind of like ordering French fries without salt. You know they'll be hot because they didn't salt them and just leave them in there, right? So it's kind of stripping it down to the most basic form. And so that was how people that still wanted to eat beef that maybe weren't hunters, they could kind of justify, you know, I'm not real big on the corn thing. I don't like the feedlot thing. There's all these misconceptions out there about that. So that's kind of where it started. Um, but there are, there are definitely some nutritional differences and there's a lot of places that you can go online and look up uh, and just pull up a chart with the different nutritional values of both. Um, the biggest thing is flavor, you know, um, and people, we offer both uh, through our company. Um, I actually buy my grass fed from a friend because he's located in a different area and has some different grass types than what we do at our ranch. He's at a different elevation. And just like you guys know, you get one of these uh, deer that was out where our ranch is versus up around Moran Junction. And they're going to be two totally different tasting animals. So I actually looked, I'm, I'm a corn fed fan. That's my, my groove. But um, we actually looked quite a while to see if there was, you know, knowing that more and more people go towards a grass fed beef all the time, if there was a place to market there. And man, I'll tell you what, we had some of the best fajitas we've ever had out of one of these grass fed and it was a bavette steak and they like i can still remember them and, and it's been months ago it, they're amazing so i think um there are i had a guy just yesterday he's a big hunter but he wants to supplement he tagged out this year but he was talking about how high he had to go this year uh his elevate he was over eleven thousand feet when he got his cow 
Oh, he wanted to supplement. And because that's what he's used to eating, I don't like saying that the grass-fed beef is more gamey. That's kind of how people typically describe it. I don't know if I, I like that description yet, but it is, if you're used to eating game and you do get a 100% grass-fed, never bite a grain beef, it's going to be more along those lines. And then you go into aging and all of the different things. That's going to change your flavor some too. But really, and there are some arguments uh, for, there are some people that have developed some allergies to beef um, and some other meats that are finished on grain. And they say, they claim that they can, they can eat the 100% grass finished. And so I think people are, they're getting more aware of those kind of things all the time. So it's just really, for me, it comes down to flavor. Um, I don't have any big issue one way or the other, but there are definitely people that that plays into their decision on how they want to eat. And I think it's cool that that market is opening up to where those people can still have access to beef. I know one guy that he will only eat game because of how it lived. Right. And that seems to be a big trend too, is how did that animal live? And there's, there's places, I think you were telling me about this, that you can actually get like a full history on the animal that you're eating, like where they were from, where they lived and kind of have a full description, right? Yeah, you're seeing more, you know, like the little brochures I brought in, we've got the QR codes now, and you're starting to see more people moving towards that. Um, If you're in the Pacific Rim and say Japan, and you scan the QR code on your eggs, you can see where those were raised and how they were raised. And we're moving towards that with the marketing of our beef. You know, we want to be kind of on that upper end. We're never going to be a, a, a big value brand or anything. We're always kind of trying to stay towards that upper end. And it goes back to that idea of the food tourism and people wanting to know where their food comes from, whether they're hunting or buying it from somebody like us. They want to really dig into that story. So we're actually working on that with the QR codes and some different labeling things. Um, we may not be able to tell you that specific animal, but we're going to get into the gist of how we raise them. So our, our main product is never been in a feedlot, but they do get grain twice a day. They're always out on, on fresh grass, and it is a little more labor intensive. But that was kind of how grandma and grandpa did it. They always had that one steer that had some blemish on him that they went ahead and just kept around the place. And they knew that feeding him a little extra, whatever the crop was that year, there was some some extra feedstuffs available, whether it was corn or oats or barley or whatever. They knew that changed the flavor and got them a little more tender. And so that steer laid around out behind the house, you know, all summer until it was time to butcher. And so we kind of tried to stay along those lines. That probably limits us. We're not ever going to be a big, huge commercial producer. But it's fun that we have, you know, we want to be kind of like uh, wine marketing uh, and where we're going to have, you know, if you like a Kendall Jackson, you can have a Shiraz or a Merlot or a Cabernet. We're kind of trying to go along those lines too and say, here's our corn-fed product. Here's our grass finished. Uh, Now we're even moving into getting a little bit older um, cows and finishing them 
and it's a whole new flavor. So, hmm. yeah. I don't think I've ever even thought of that. So that's, that's an interesting one to get into. I'll bring you guys a sampler pack yeah. next time. Yeah. I'll have to try it out. So David, real quick, let's talk about Bow Spider. I know you guys have been busy for the holidays trying to get orders out and you know, you're on the road again. So tell us uh, what's going on with Bow Spider. You know, it was a, it was a good Black Friday Christmas endeavor this year. Shipping seems to have kind of leveled out. I don't know if you want to say post-pandemic. I don't know if we're allowed to say that yet or not. But definitely, we didn't see the uh, shipping interruption that we saw 12 months ago. So, yeah, hopefully everybody, you know, got their bow spiders coming. We we're on the road getting ready for trade show season. Going to be at uh, Archery Trade Association in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Lovell, I think, is how they say it. But it's Louisville. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got some products that'll be be hitting the shelves sooner or later. Whenever I get a get a few free moments to to check out some more packaging and get some destructive testing and R and D done, but definitely if you haven't checked the system out, there's how tos on YouTube. You know, go go see what the fuss is all about. But we have a if you have the product, you know how the product works. We have some new things coming down the pipeline. I don't have an exact release launch date. We uh, we're not going to be launching them next week at ATA, but keep. Keep informed, keep in tune, stay in touch. They will be coming. Yeah, David's got some cool products coming out. So keep your eye on bowspider.com for all things Bowspider. Follow him on Facebook, Instagram, all the socials, and stay up to date because he does have some really cool stuff coming. And if you have a Bowspider packing system already, you know how good his products are. So yeah, there's a lot coming in that in that uh, arena here pretty soon. So I want to talk about nutrition in beef, Tyler, for just a little bit, because I mean, that's one of the big things is that a lot of people don't understand what it takes to raise a beef. It's just like when I was raising pork, you know, people just assume you just throw them whatever. And I mean, that's true to some degree, but you have to have a good feed ration. Otherwise, you're not going to get the marbling. You're not going to get the size that you want. It's going to cost you a lot more to raise that animal. So can you just tell us a little bit about what it takes to raise beef as far as nutrition wise, water, all the things that people need to consider when they're raising beef? Yeah, um, we have a pretty basic we see in like feedlots and stuff, they really push that outer limit, you know, where they're trying to just pack pounds per day. And ours is more focused on flavor. Obviously, we, we have to keep them growing to make it economical. But we, we end up, um, one of our big feed stuffs around here is beer barley. Um, because we're right here kind of where they're growing a lot of Coors barley. And so it's interesting that the barley that gets rejected for beer growing or beer brewing is um, too high in protein. Apparently mm-hmm. it makes the beer foam too much or so. I never had a problem with beer foaming too much, <laughs> but I, get, I guess if you're Pete Coors, you do. But so we get a lot of those kind of things that are kind of cast offs of some other product and so the biggest thing for us especially like going through the winter and i've had a pretty steep learning curve trying to keep this going like right now with this really mild winter we're having it's pretty simple but as the temperatures drop and things like that you have to keep their nutrition dialed in 
so that you're still gaining. You know, our our whole big thing is we don't have any added steroids or hormones. That changes the game a little bit there because then you're solely reliant on your nutrition and your genetics. We end up sending off feed samples periodically to see what maybe this year's corn may test a little higher than last year's or we may change the mixture that we're giving them. So we kind of have a general idea every from year to year. Then we kind of Kentucky windage from there, what we might have to supplement. But ours is pretty simple. We we don't try and get so sophisticated that you can't do it. But there are places that they actually have um, nutritionists or veterinarians on staff, and they go through those rations weekly. So there's a whole science all just to that. But it's really interesting that Cattle end up, you know, and and we hear this all the time, they're upcyclers and all of these different terms for it, but they can end up using a lot of these spent grains from other things. One of the big ones that's kind of hard to get here, it's more of a further east from us, is the used distiller's grains, which is a a byproduct of ethanol production. And so now they're able to take that. It's almost a concentrate. It is a, it's like a super corn. They've taken all they need out for ethanol production and they've left all the stuff that cows use. And so um, using some of those kind of spent grains, it really makes it more efficient than having to just feed uh, straight grains, you know, and, and like you and I are seeing it, especially this year, soy production we're having to get away from some of those things that were so simple because now they're getting so expensive. So it's always kind of a balancing act of finding one, what's available, um, what's highly nutritious, and then what is economical to get. We go around and around all the time trying to figure out what are we going to do now? (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. I'm really intrigued and wondering about your thoughts on plant-based meats, you know, they're, they're hitting the markets. They're in the news all the time about how, you know, these new lab grown meats are going to take over beef and people say they're just like beef. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the market of plant-based? Yeah. How long do we have to make this show? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, oh man, that's so discouraging to see. Um, I, I think that, So that goes back to that highly centralized meat system that we've developed. And now what you're seeing is a lot of those meat packers uh, have invested in this fake meat um, because anything they can do to take away the, the risk that they have in live animals and make it a sure thing, they can produce it cheaper, faster, you know, they have all of these reasons for wanting to do that. Um, but I think that one of the big things is for, uh, especially for American consumers in other parts of the world, you don't see it as much. Um, if you're in a third world country, you're not concerned with flavor and, and some of the, if you can just get your hands on some proteins, that's a good thing, right? Versus American thinking, you know, first world problems. We, they've been serving people such horrible beef and pork and chicken for so long now 
it's kind of the next logical progression is like, you know what? They already don't know that there's much difference in flavor. We can just transition them over to this thing that costs us a fraction to produce. And really, nobody's going to notice a difference in the flavor. And, you know, it's kind of like if we don't say anything, maybe nobody will notice. I, man, the studies on that stuff, don't, please don't eat it. It's, it's so terrible. It, it is so... And the, the other thing that nobody is really talking about, and I, I always wanted to do this in college, was very simply put, you know, a pound of beef grown on a, a free-range grass-fed ranch versus a pound of soy that we turn into a soy burger and put on the shelf. You know, when that, when that combine comes by that soybean field, every squirrel and robin and mouse and bunny rabbit up, run over, crushed, or destroyed by that combine, and there's nothing living in that soybean field but the soybean. And this lab-grown meat is just that next evolution of who knows what chemicals are all going into it, but the fields that those chemicals are coming from, nothing else lives there. And a, a ranch, you have coyotes and rabbits and snakes and squirrels and birds that are all pretty well in balance in that ecosystem. So if your point of view is, well, I'm going to go to this lab-grown meat to protect animals, you're actually harming more animals than if you would just go eat the beef. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right on there. People, um, they don't understand the amount of water that it takes to grow soybean or the amount of fossil fuels that go into something like that. Or, you know, if you come out to our ranch in central Wyoming, and literally the center of the state is about 10 miles northeast of the house mm-hmm. of its ranch. So if you're out there in the gas hills, you're never going to grow soybeans there. Um, If you're in central Iowa or somewhere like that, where you have the rain and the types of soil, those are great places to grow soybeans and stuff. But the amount of soybean and whatever else goes into this stuff, we don't have enough farm ground in America to grow all of these products that people need. And then, like you're saying, you can come out to our ranch and these cattle are using the grasses that aren't any good to people and they're using it on soil that will not grow soybeans and they're using it with hardly any fossil fuels. Other than just the three of us driving around in the old Dodge, there's not a lot of fossil fuels getting burnt to produce this. So, you know, that's another big thing you hear so much about with the fake meat is um, the carbon footprint, you know. And so if that if that actually factors into your decision and maybe that's why you're going out and hunting and that I think that's amazing. If you're buying from someone local, our beef has never gone more than about 100 miles in its life and then it can be on your plate. And so that's like less than a quarter of a tank of gas to produce a whole beef, not a pound of burger. I guarantee you, you cannot produce a pound of something that's supposed to taste like beef that's made out of whatever with a half a gallon of fuel. Yeah. I like there's a a meme out there and it has, you know, the plant-based meat and then it's got a a steak and it it says, you know, all the ingredients for the plant-based meat and then the one ingredient for the steak, you know, it's the beef. Yeah. And I mean, 
to me, it's, it's kind of funny because it's just another fad to me. It's a, it's another thing where they're like, Hey, this is the cool next thing to catch on to. Cause it's more humane. It's more this, it's more that. And it's like, well, when you really think it through, it's actually not. And you know, to your point, the local grown beef tastes so much better. It's not even close. Like a lot of people have had the, you know, the big chain meat. And they don't understand the stuff that you're making tastes way better than that. And so they don't have the context to even have the real conversation about the difference between the meat, right? Yeah, that's that was one of our, our second best um, comments that we got on one of our socials was somebody was unloading it and they text me back and I asked them if I could use their text on our socials. But they said the, the meat is so red, my mouth is watering as I'm unpacking it. And it really is. It's just I, I, like, I don't know what they do to make that meat taste so bad. We, we we joke that we're beef snobs. Like, so when we go out to a restaurant, unless it's brown sugar or someone bunks barbecue in Riverton where they serve our meat, we're like, eh, we'll, we'll try the fish or, you know, let's, let's try something else. It, it really is such a night and day difference in the quality of the product. In Wyoming, and I, and I think probably a lot of your audience is the same way. Like we eat so much better than what most people go out and pay for at a very expensive restaurant on a daily basis. Like you come over to our house and have hamburgers and people are like, what did you do to these? <laughs> Nothing, man. Like pulled them out of the freezer and put them on the grill. Yeah, exactly. I think to your point on that, it's like we're so used to it here. But you go to like, say you go to Denver you know, that's a close big city or somewhere like that. Most people don't get that. Like they, they are used to going to the grocery store and picking up the package of hamburger and it's totally different, like completely different. My Yeah. Yeah. Or even, even something really high end, like going out to a Ruth Chris steakhouse or something like that. And now we kind of joke, we're like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> you know, we, that one that we had on Wednesday night, it was probably a little bit better than this, but it's all right. <laughs> So I want to talk to you about charcuterie for just a little bit because, you know, it's become a really big deal. Um, I know you and I and David all kind of do this where you take meat, you cure it, smoke it, serve it cold. People love it, you know, and that's really kind of the, the definition of it in a lot of ways, right? Is like just kind of that's what it is. Tell me about it. I mean, you've got some snack sticks here and um, just tell us a little bit about one, what charcuterie is, where it came from, and why it's become such a big deal. So, um, and I actually looked that up, and there are like a ton of different definitions of what charcuterie is. Mm -hmm. Some people say it goes back to France, some go back to Italy. And so, yeah, I, you know, we were talking about how you get your beef cut up. And um, so that's one of my favorite things now is getting those eye around roasts and making that braciola out of them getting those huge round roasts made like the butchers love me because I just haven't cut my round roasts into like three pieces. And then that's what all my jerky is made out of. But yeah, charcuterie is, is basically dry cured meats. And I, so like we have some challenges here in central Wyoming being in the desert. Most of the dry cured stuff, you know, jerky, um, you, you want the drier environment so we, we can make all kinds of jerky. My wife's grandfather used to make it over the campfire and they would keep the campfire going and they would pepper it 
in the mm-hmm. in the late fall or late summer, early fall, to keep the flies off of it. And that was what jerky was, just smoked next to the fire, dried out in the sun with a little pepper on it. And um, so it can be as basic as that all the way up to uh, our minted mixed product with, you know, pork and beef or game. Um, but game meat does some awesome charcuterie. A lot of it, you want the the really lean. The braciolas, that's kind of a fun one that I do pretty frequently because they don't take as long as like a prosciutto. Um, you know, that's, you got like a year invested in that bad boy. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong in the meantime. Um, so that's a simple one. But all the way down to just taking some of your grind and making snack sticks out of it. There's so much. The, the more of it I do, the more I find out how little I know about it. Uh, it's just a cool hobby. It's been a fun learning thing. And, and it goes back to that making use of some of those lesser products all of a sudden um if if you break out a braciola uh it, well you know one that we did um we had some guys from new york they came back here they were doing this locally sourced butcher shop and they wanted the whole story about small family farms and all this and they'd run out of that kind of thing on the east coast and so they were wanting to come where they knew they could get some product and so I just had a, a New York strip steak there. Um, you can do it with kind of any steak. Uh, a, a filet works really good or even an eye around. Just cut it up on the salt block and you can just add a little bit of your favorite steak seasoning and you can eat it just like that. It's called carne cruda. It's basically a tartare minus the egg. These guys were blown away. And the one guy is like downtown New York City, very big investor he goes, what is this? This is amazing. I said, ah, it's, you know, you had to come to Pavilion, Wyoming to get cultured. It's okay. It's called carne crude, old son. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, I, I love charcuterie, man. From just start with a, just get a little like cheapy dehydrator and start working on some jerky cures. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, David, he's got his smoker out here outside the door, and he makes a lot of that stuff. So, David, you can talk a little bit about what you guys did this year with some of your elk and antelope. Uh, I mean, the easiest way to start, really, I mean, you can do it in the oven. You can do it with the little cheese smokers. We got a little bit bigger fancy smoker out there with some temperature stoves and some decent stuff. But, you know, talk about a little time. Find out and see if you there's lots of podcasts, but. More, more importantly, is the sponsor of our, our normal day-to-day food intake at our house. And whether we're doing whole muscle turkey, which is what I like to do, whole muscle circuitry, you know, for elk, I really like to slice it as thin as you can. If you can get a meat slicer, great. If not, throw that, that round or that rump roast, whatever off the elk you can get, whatever larger cut you can get, and slice it. I like it quarter-inch thick, you know, and then you just follow the instructions smoke it, dry it, and it's, it's the way to go. However, the kids and the wife really like the ground meat product. So we, we grind it, we've got the jerky down, we shoot it in the sticks, put it on wax paper, stick it in the smoker, and they will eat 
pounds of that stuff. And it's so good. I mean, and it's good for you too. I mean, that's, that's one of the other things people forget about. It's just, it's delicious. And High Mountain does make some great products for it. Um, you know, Hans and his crew, they, they have some amazing starter packs. If you want to just get your toe kind of dipped in the water, one of the best things you can do is go to High Mountain Jerky's website, pick up a package of jerky cure and seasoning, follow the instructions to a T, whether it's whole muscle, ground, super, super simple. And, you know, I mean, that's how I started doing it when I was a kid. I mean, it was just yeah. way too easy not to. I, I think that was my first package of jerky too, was the High Mountain, like way back when. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. They've been around yeah. for a long time. They've got it dialed in. You know, I make, you know, bacon that way. They have a buckboard bacon cure. Yep. I've made ham that way. I mean, you can do so many different things and it's so much fun when you've made it yourself. I think there's some satisfaction when you say to doing it yourself. Oh yeah. That's always one of like bacon. That's an awesome one. Oh man. You talk about a gateway drug right there. Making <laughs> smoking your own bacon. It's like next level, even like when they don't turn out good and then you have to go and get some store-bought bacon. You're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> bummer. <laughs> it, it, and then like when you have that awesome one and you're trying to remember like, how exactly did I do that one? You know, and you got to go back and write down your recipe again. Oh man. Bacon is amazing. Well, in ham, I know the last one that I did, as I'm pulling it out of the smoker, I'm drooling all over myself just uncontrollably. I mean, it just <laughs> smells so good with that applewood smoke. It's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah. So I could talk about the food part all day long, but you know, I, I got to ask you, what is your favorite, you know, if you were to make any kind of charcuterie you wanted to do, what would you make? Oh, so um, I really like biltong. Um, because it's super simple. It's, I, I always tell people it's jerky's sophisticated cousin. Um, <laughs> it's not as time and labor intensive as like a braciola or, or um, a guancial or, or making bacon or, or one of these kind of things. Um, but it's kind of just a, a super wide jerky that you're just going to air dry for three to four days. I like mine a little more raw. Um, I bought my wife another ironing board um, because that's what I use to cure. It doesn't take a lot of equipment. It's not super sophisticated that way. Um, but you can get any low-end round roast kind of meat. Um, and, and game works really good because it's so lean. You don't have to do much trimming. Cut that thing just a little bit thicker than your thumb and as big a chunks as you can get um, and then hang it up and let it cure for a couple days. Um, super simple, you know, uh, you can get a little bit of soy sauce, Worcestershire, and one of your favorite seasonings, and throw it in there overnight, hang it up the next day, two, three days later. I love it. It's, it's by far one of the simpler ones that has a really sophisticated taste without having to wait a year. Yeah, and that's a bonus when you can get a little bit quicker gratification from your yeah. from your labor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I saw a meme the other day, Tyler, and uh, it's a little boy sitting on Santa Claus' lap, and Santa Claus asks him what he wants for Christmas, and he says he wants a, a horse that is faster than the wind, that can pull a rope in two, and that can sort down a prairie dog hole. And Santa says, okay, Come on, kid, be realistic. And he says, 
all right, I want cattle ranching to be profitable again. And Santa says, what color would you like that horse in? <laughs> yeah, I saw that one too, man. That that hits home. Hey, I, sure, I know it hits home. and that's, uh, It's tough. I mean, it's a tough industry. It's a tough market. But what are you guys doing to kind of insulate yourself and, and prepare for you know, the ebbs and flows of cattle, right? Yeah, so that was kind of the whole idea behind starting this Wyoming Cowboy Cuts as a as a direct-to-consumer sales business. You know, traditionally, we'd just been a commercial ranch, and um, we weaned calves in the fall. You took them to the sale barn, and you got what you got, and they they always kind of joked, was it, a, was it a whiskey or a water year? And, you know, that was kind of the way it went. And we wanted to start taking a little bit more control of it. That was the whole idea behind it. They've centralized this so much. And, and again, without trying to get into the whole issue that we're facing, we're basically down to four major meat packers in the United States, and they're global. And so they've gotten to the point where they're powerful enough that they can say, here's what we're going to give you. Take it or leave it. And and to put it in context, I mean, to put this issue a little bit in context, the last time this Monopoly meat packer was broken up, they controlled 60% of the market. They now control 80% of the market, and we're still not looking at them as a monopoly. And their profits are going up and up and up every year, i.e. the big corporate meat packers. But ranchers, like you said, every year are looking at leaner and leaner, more water years. And if you don't have that whiskey year every few years, you're not getting a new diesel truck. You're not getting new tires, and you're definitely not fixing the fence to where you have less loss and are actually improving ranching. Am I kind of on point there with my Oh, yeah. Thought? Yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, you can look back, and the as, as inflation uh, continues to grow, you can look back just you know, as much as 20 years. And as, as that market share changes, they've been getting the same price for these calves and these cattle for decades now. And all of our input costs are up. All of our daily operating expenses are up. You have old family ranches that haven't had to take out an operating loan in decades that are now working on credit just to keep it going. And so that was a big determining factor. We, we looked around at, um, can we start raising bulls? Can we do some trucking? All of these other businesses that we're already kind of involved in. And here we had this one calf that was born in a snowstorm he lost his ears. He lost his tail. He, he, he frostbit most of his nose off. I mean, he just looked horrible. And by the time, you know, we knew we couldn't take him to the sale barn. Any of those cosmetic blemishes were going to cost us so much money. We'd have had to pay them to take him off of our hands. So we fed him and we went, this is amazing. Like, was this a fluke or what was the deal? And that was literally when we started looking at it is, okay, so now we have this whatever percentage of our herd that's less desirable. How do we make that, you know, it, whether it's a red one or a Hereford or a, a Black Angus or whatever it is that you're working with, there's always going to be some something that doesn't look exactly like the others. And when you get into this 
commodity market that the beef has become they want everything to look the same act the same grow this you know they're trying to get as many pounds as fast as possible that's all they care about and so we they want a genetically engineered modified cow right they want that genetically engineered modified cow so they get the same poundage same yield they they don't want you know it's basically this this genetically modified corn except they want it out of a cow so there's no variance in the market at all yeah it's kind of like the you know pork market i mean these pork are all cookie cutter that come out of these barns that they raise them in because they got to fit whatever mold of cut that they want to do for pork chops for bacon for all these things everything has to be the right size right yeah and so that was kind of where we started looking at like for us to go out and expand our ranch was going to be several million dollars and that was before we put three hundred thousand dollar tractors and hundred thousand dollar pickups and the cattle and 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 so we were looking at putting our kids into debt over trying to expand so now what's profitable is 500 head profitable is a thousand head profitable where does that line stop and that's where we kind of went you know what wait a minute we need to look like hyper local now we're we're really not even interested in shipping meat at this point because that was it was something we were already doing it checked all the boxes for us you know it wasn't going to take building a feedlot it wasn't going to take retrofitting the whole system that we already had to start doing this so we took that very bottom end of those cattle and we kept them for ourselves and we reinvested some money back into them so we took a little bit more risk and occasionally we lose one or we have to medicate one and then they go back into a commercial setting but that was kind of the natural progression of it that how do we take what we already have and make the most out of it well and going direct to consumer just makes so much more sense because then you're not you know being held to whatever the sale barn's like well you take it or leave it, man. You can put it back on the trailer. I don't care, but this is what you're going to get for it. And what I like about it for you, I mean, you get to kind of make your own way with it, do whatever you want with it, right? Like it's, it's, it's your beef. There are people here that love beef, you know, you've got the market. And so you're able to do that, but you also have to find that avenue to do that. And you've kind of used like the social media, the word of mouth, you know, just being a good neighbor, you know, like stuff like that has really helped you kind of grow that. And I think that's what makes it kind of cool is that it's not like going to Walmart and getting a big package of steaks, you know, like when I would come to you and get meat, it's coming to you to get meat. And then like, there's something special there that's a little bit different, right? Yeah. I think having that personal connection is so cool. And that that's, what's made it successful. You know, the, the pandemic kind of supercharged it. Um, we are probably 10 years ahead of where I thought we would be at this point. Um, we're looking at butchering over a hundred head next year. Uh, the, the coolest part is just like you're saying, I had a customer call me today and say, Hey, um, the hamburger that we got from you is a little drier than what we like. Do you have any others? I said, Actually, you know what I do. And then I have another lady that she really likes ultra lean hamburger. I was able to make that work. So mm-hmm. that's the coolest part to me is like, you know what? I know those guys, they have like five kids. I got these huge roasts. They're going to love those huge roasts. And then I have the the empty nesters. 
um, and I got a roast that got cut a little too small, I'm going to save that for when they call an order. So that's the cool part about doing it locally is I can kind of, if I'm willing to put the effort in, I can kind of mix and match it to where it fits my customers. It's been really cool that way. I have a lot of connections that I probably wouldn't have made otherwise. Yeah. And the other part, I look at you and it's, it's, there's a lot of people kind of in the same boat in this County, but you, you think about all the different things you do right? You're, you're doing ranching, you're doing farming, (laughs) you know, you're running this business, sometimes having to run halfway across the United States to get a piece of equipment. You're, you're a dad, you're a husband, all this stuff. How do you balance all of that and make it work? I don't know if I do it very well, honestly, (laughs) you know, we have a really, our lifestyle lends itself to doing stuff with family. And so we get our kids involved in everything. Like both my little girls are, they're five and seven and they can move the four wheeler for me. You know, if it's blocking a gate or something, I can put one of them on it and they will move it out of the way. So we get cool stuff like that, that you wouldn't know with a traditional type of job, you probably wouldn't get to do those kind of things all the time. There are times of the year, you know, like calving and fall riding and stuff where, man, some of that stuff takes a backseat and that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, there are days where it kind of runs us. But, you know, my oldest daughter now is doing gymnastics and loves it. And that's been a cool thing where we don't have a traditional schedule. I can go to all of those. You know, we, we do everything. And, uh, you know, on Friday evening when it's time to take off for the gymnastics uh, meet, then we all go. And so that's been cool. So, you know, we just kind of try and find our spots where it fits. That's one of the greatest times that we have is when we all get to go ride together. We still do almost exclusively everything horseback. And um, one, it's because of the terrain we have. But two, it's just it connects us back to the the family tradition. And we love that part of it. And that's really how my wife and I met was the the horse part of it. And so we, we just kind of have to mix and match things, man, to make it work. But yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been a steep learning curve on how to make this business go. Yeah. I think work-life balance is something we're all trying to figure out. So I'm, I'm always, it's fun when, um, you know, I'm driving the tractor or, or doing something and I'm like, man, this is my job. That's so cool. I, I always just kind of smile. I'm like, I'm actually like doing something that's now with having the, the beef business, uh, I can see that link more directly. Um, I don't feel that disconnect of, yeah, we took our cabs to the sale in the fall and, you know, now I got to go drive the tractor around the field. Now it's like, man, I'm I'm moving these mineral tubs because we're going to butcher these steers and they're going to go to Patrick and, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, seeing that, man, all the time, I'm like, this is so cool. This is what I do for a living. You mentioned you wanted to get your, your kids hunting. I mean, what kind of things are you wanting to hunt, and how are you wanting to get them involved in the outdoors? You know, that's been one of the funnest things. Um, my oldest daughter, she got, uh, for her sixth birthday, she got a Bible and a twenty-two. You know, that was one thing I didn't get to do much as a kid. We, we didn't do, I went fishing with my grandpa a lot, but we didn't do a lot of 
hunting and outdoors stuff. You know, we were, we were in the horse business and so we were always outside, but it wasn't necessarily doing those kind of activities. And so it's fun for me to be able to take my girls and now that they're both showing an interest in shooting and stuff. Um, that's been really cool. So I'm interested to see how that turns into, Hey, can, can we go hunting? Um, so I, I really enjoy that part of it. Um, my youngest daughter, uh, she really likes to go shooting with mom and my wife. Um, if you ever were to break into our house, you'd better hope that it was me at home <laughs> instead of my wife. Cause you won't make it if she's there. Um, so it's fun. That's a, that's a cool family thing that we get to do. And with having kind of the unconventional schedule, there's times where we're like, you know, there ain't anything to do. It's Tuesday afternoon. The wind's not blowing. Let's go shoot. Right. So it's, it's interesting. And where we are always doing the ranch stuff and outside, um, it's kind of fun to think that we could plan a hunting trip and it would be something totally different. So it would still be that break in our routine for us to go get to hunt. Yeah. So one of the things I like to do when I bring somebody on who has a business, I like to talk about the business and I also like to talk about like what's next because we've talked about kind of where you started, where you're at now, what's next for Wyoming Cowboy Cuts. And if someone wanted to get a hold of some meat and talk to you about that, I mean, how do they do that? So yeah, we're wyomingcowboycuts.com. Um, we're still not shipping out of the state. So unless you know somebody in Wyoming, um, you're just going to have to come and visit. So, um, but you know, uh, just, just this past week, we kind of went to that next concentric circle out. We have put freezers now, um, going back to that people having access to it. We've put freezers out in four locations um, around Fremont County, and we've got one in Casper now. Um, and we work with Eat Wyoming and Fresh Foods Wyoming. Um, to We can now deliver around the state for, I, I, it's almost free, very minimal charge to get meat delivered all throughout the state. So I think we're gonna, we're gonna sure up that whole system this coming year. Um, I don't know if I have much energy for this, another big <laughs> leap. We're, uh, we're doing the snack sticks and we're doing jerky. So we'll have a whole product line of them coming out. Um, and so we've got them in uh, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to get into all the Rocky Mountain stores by the end of the year. That's a big goal. So that as you're going out on your hunting trip and you don't have something already <laughs> ready, you can take a, a better protein with you. So yeah, we're, we're working on getting a few more of those freezers out throughout the community and you'll be able to order off our website and then pick that up there so that you don't necessarily have to come the 20 miles of dirt road to Pavilion, Wyoming. It's a ways. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you turn on teacher's road, it won't come to my house, right? I learned that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, might, yeah. Might've learned that one. So, you know, I, I think that's the big thing is um, getting people where they have a little bit better access to it. And then I want to start helping other people do the same thing. Um, there's, there's more than enough room for all of us doing this. So we're going to we're going to do a little bit more pork this year. So that'll be kind of 
out of our normal, the snack sticks, and then having freezers in communities. So there's somewhere around you in Wyoming that you want to get some meat, give us a holler and uh, social media. We're Wyoming Cowboy Cuts on Facebook and Instagram. Send us a message and uh, we'll we'll get you anything from a pound of hamburger to a whole beef. Well, Tyler, I mean, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'm looking forward and excited to seeing where it goes from here. Um, I really, you know, this decentralized meat is a, I think it's a cool thing. It's a needed thing. It's back to that truly local butcher of this is the cut, this is the special. And, you know, you, you've already kind of mentioned that, you know, you're taking that what would be considered an inferior product and making it a superior product. And that's, that's neat to see that vertical integration within your business. And I really do hope you do well. The last question, and this is Patrick and Mars' favorite question to ask, and it's probably the hardest one to answer, is if you could only go out and procure one protein source and cook it one way, what would that be and how would you cook it? Oh, man. So the the obvious answer is a New York strip steak, man. You can you can cook those anyway, and they're awesome. That's my favorite. And as far as game, or, or sure, throw that sure. in there. Okay, so that was the one that you sent me. Um, I, I want to try caribou. I've never. I've tried mm-hmm. elk, bear. Um, I've tried a lot of different game meats. Um, and what's the restaurant in Denver that serves in downtown? We went there several times, man. That was so good. Um, They've got everything, and I can't remember. Yeah, they have rattlesnake on the menu and stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, caribou is one that I haven't had. So I don't know if that would be an always thing, because I might not like it at all. But that's one that I want to try. It's extremely lean, I will tell you that. (laughs) And as far as uh, meat hierarchy being, I I won't say I was a chinchaka when I lived in Alaska. No, I was a chinchaka. I never made it to sourdough. And uh, sourdoughs are people who live there longer than five years. And they're either too crotchety to move out or they're too stubborn. But okay. <laughs> irregardless, uh, the meat hierarchy in Alaska goes, in my opinion, doll sheep, then moose, then elk, and then you get down into the, the caribou. Um, it was not my favorite. It was good, but by far I'd take moose over caribou and i would take i would take doll sheep over moose any day of the week so there's this thing that you can do up in alaska at least there used to be where we took this train ride and on the train ride they have the different types of you know protein from up there and you get to try a little bit of everything maybe you and the family can do that one of these days and go try a little bit of everything alaska has to offer and you know take the train ride around seward Um, Oh yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, but I will say I'd have to agree with David. The doll sheep was really good. Oh yeah. But I mean, I was a little kid, but I remember it was really tasty and the moose was really good. Yeah. I I enjoyed the moose that I've had. Mm -hmm. I really like that. My, my oldest brother, he gets out quite a bit and hunts every year and does a lot of fishing and, uh, yeah, getting to try some of his moose from his Alaska trip was wow. That was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to say thank you again for taking the time. We've been talking about doing this for probably a year. Yeah. Um, it's it's really good to have you in and, and talk about, you know, the different markets and, you know, how specialty meat producers like yourself are really kind of getting a foothold and how we can support you in that. And so I would encourage everybody again, 
go check them out on Facebook uh, or on their website, uh, Wyoming Cowboy Cuts. Throw them some business, you know, and hey, if you're living in Illinois or Texas or somewhere like that, I'm sure you have a local producer. Check that Facebook group we were talking about earlier. Find a local producer, support them, and you know, it's, it's going to be a much better product for you in the end anyway, and it's going to be much more nutritious for you and your family. So support your local producers and, and get out there and help them out. But, um, again, thanks for coming on, man. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. This is cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. So, so again, thank you for listening to this episode of Ragcast Outdoors. One thing that really helps us out a bunch is if you can go to wherever you're listening to this from and download the episode. Um, that helps give us credit to, for our sponsors to know that you're actually listening to it. Share with your friends. Uh, also rate the podcast and subscribe. And, you know, as always, we're going to come back with a lot more good content here on Radcast Outdoors.